Good day. Welcome to the Point Being Ipsos's podcast on public polling. This is episode 43 for March 14th. Uh, I am your host, Chris Jackson, joined as always by Mallory Newell. Hello. Happy Pi Day. And our special guest today, Dr. Katie Zemer. Hello. So we have a couple of fun topics to cover today, uh, but let's start with the core political. Mallory, what are we seeing in our political polling? Thanks, Chris. Uh, Not much has changed from our podcast last week. Uh, The president's approval rating has held steady. It continues to be in the low 30s, right around 40% range. This week it's at 39% to be specific, unchanged from last week. when you look at the one thing that has changed, and I feel like this is the maybe third week in a row that we've talked about this, the uh, Wexit poll. That's right, our White House exit poll. Yeah, so when you look at who is who the American public thinks is most likely to leave the White House next. Um, now this week, as we've been seeing for the past few weeks, uh, former... Secretary of State Rex Tillerson got the boot shortly before this poll was released. Um, Just so if people have been listening week to week, just to recap, Rex Tillerson had been in the second or third place range for a number of weeks before this. Uh, So the American public, um, about 12% or so, were right on thinking that he was going to be the next on the outs. Um, This week, for the second week in a row, uh, special advisor slash son-in-law Jared Kushner continues to lead with 17%, so just under one in five Americans thinking that he'll be the next to get the boot. That's right. Jared was a late addition to our Wexit poll, uh, but as soon as we added him, he rocketed to the top of the list. That's right. And he continues to uh, lead the charge, I guess, uh, with Jeff Sessions, Attorney General. As number two. Yep. Okay. Uh, Anything else from our core polling that is of note this week? Sure. So um, obviously this is Wednesday, March 14th, so we've just seen the results of one special election in the country up in Pennsylvania's 18th Congressional District with Mm -hmm. Democrat Connor Lamb uh, squeaking out a a very close victory there. In Um, a district that normally is supposed to be very Republican-friendly, correct? That's correct, yes. Um, a district that elected Donald Trump by double digits in November of 2016. Now, um, I think it's worth pointing out that our generic congressional ballot is steady, uh, 38% supporting a generic Democrat at this point compared to 30% supporting a generic Republican. So I think, uh, as we've touched on in the past, the generic ballot, certainly there are a number of factors at play here. Um, And I think it remains to be seen what one special election or one issue of the day, which obviously they change very frequently these days, uh, how that really impacts the generic ballot, because it's been holding steady with Democrats at about a seven or eight point lead for a number of weeks now. Yeah. So so I guess the, the takeaway is Democrats won special election. That's good for Democrats. That doesn't necessarily tell us what's going to happen in December, though. No, because I think, you know, when you look at the results of last night's special, obviously, I think candidate quality matters, the strength of your field program matters, there's a number of factors Mm -hmm. that um, can't necessarily speak to just any generic congressional district in the country. 
the last thing I'll note, which is a segue into welcoming our friend Katie here, uh, is that the main problem in the country continues to be health care, with nearly mm -hmm. one in five Americans saying that health care is uh, the top concern for them right now. Mm -hmm. And listener, you may not know, but actually Ipsos does a ton of research in the healthcare space. Uh, Dr. Katie Zemer, our guest today, actually runs a lot of that research, is one of our experts in that area. Uh, and she was uh, essentially involved in a new release we've put out, Understanding Society, the Patient Experience. Uh, we just put this out last week, is that right? A few weeks ago. So two weeks ago? Yeah. Um, but now we have her on the podcast uh, to talk about a little bit. So Katie, what, uh, what, what do we know, uh, what do we understand about society and about the patient experience from this research? Well, first off, I'd like to put it in context a little bit. Patient experience has become the focus of many healthcare providers and healthcare systems because reimbursement is now dependent on patients' ratings of their doctors and their experiences. So that's essentially insurance companies or the government paying hospitals or doctors. Yes, that's right, based on how patients are reviewing them. So if you give your doctor a bad review, they may get paid less. Essentially, it's a little bit more complicated than that, and that's one of the things actually that we found in our research because patients uh, are going to rate their doctors differently depending on what kind of service the doctor is providing. So we know that patients rate their ER doctors lower because they're waiting in the waiting room, they don't have an appointment, they don't have an ongoing relationship with their doctor, whereas they're going to just automatically rate their primary care provider higher overall hmm. uh, because they have an ongoing relationship. And one of the things that we found is that the relationship and in particular the communication between a provider and a patient is one of the biggest drivers of a patient's satisfaction with their experience. That's fascinating. So is it, is it a particular person in the provider network that sort of bears that burden or is it sort of everybody on the provider side? I think it's everybody on the provider side but I also think that Many people focus on the provider when they think about the patient experience, but actually it's much more complicated than that because you're dealing with an entire hospital system. And so the provider, the individual provider, may not have any bearing on access, for example, mm -hmm. how quickly a patient can get an appointment when they need it. That's a larger system issue. Right. And so when you're thinking about improving the patient experience, you have to focus on the entire system and the entire culture of the hospital to essentially know where to target and know uh, how to best serve the patient. Right, so it's, it's not just the doctor, the emergency room doctor, as right. you mentioned earlier. It's the person manning the front desk. Exactly. It's maybe the person pushing gurneys around if you're, you know, getting jostled between one spot and another. It's the techs in any of, like, the uh, x-ray rooms or MRI rooms. It's the entire group of people uh, from the front desk to the back office that actually have impact on how people are perceiving that experience. That's right. So when we're measuring the patient experience, we want to consider the entire patient journey. Mm -hmm. That starts actually before they even go to the doctor. It starts with them considering 
when when should they actually go see a doctor? What are their options uh, to their experience when they are actually there? And it continues on after they leave the hospital as well. Do they have to pick up medication? How convenient is that for them? Do they have questions after they leave? How can they get those questions answered? Um, mm-hmm. Do they start to feel uh, bad afterwards? Do their symptoms return? Uh, did they anticipate that? Did their doctor warn them about that? So there's all of these factors to consider that are actually outside of just the immediate hospital visit. Hmm. How are we like capturing this information? How are we measuring this? It seems really complicated. It's complicated, uh, but actually journey mapping is one of the common ways to capture this, and this is one of the things that we're doing. And it may seem, um, I guess, well, it may seem a little bit antithetical to uh, collecting data, but actually the qualitative information is the richest uh, when you talk about the patient journey because you can really start to get at what their experience was and what they were thinking at each point in time when they were making these different decisions throughout their journey. And so we map that out, but then we also map that to the processes that are going on within the hospital. Because if a patient is having a problem at this point in their journey, we also have to know how to fix it, and so which part of the system do we need to tweak or do we need to advise to fix that uh, part of the patient journey. Mm, Interesting. Do we know from our investigations what part of those patient journeys are the most problematic, where, where people are getting tripped up the most? I think that's something that we're still trying to figure out. And I also think it really depends on the type of care a person is receiving. Mm-hmm. So, and, and people's journeys are going to look different depending on are they someone with a chronic condition who continually has to go into the hospital or is it someone who only sees the doctor uh, for their annual physical? Or maybe not even that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's every 10 years. So there's a lot of these individual characteristics that we have to take into account when mm-hmm. we're thinking about this. There is no one model fits all in this case. Okay. Are there any other learnings from this uh, patient experience investigation that you think listeners should know about? I think that in addition to the fact that it's complicated to measure patient experience is, and it's also complicated to improve patient experience is just that when we think about the ratings and how they're used, not only are these ratings used to, for reimbursement purposes, but consumers uh, as patients are also using these ratings to choose which providers they go to and which hospitals they go to. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we found through our research is people don't necessarily know how to accurately interpret those ratings. And they interpret them differently depending on whether they're reading it through a place like Yelp or whether they're reading it through a governmental website like Hospital Compare. Mm And so what we found is that health literacy makes a big impact. So if someone is low on health literacy, meaning they have difficulty understanding uh, numbers, medical information, they actually interpret the hospital ratings in the opposite direction. Hmm. And this has a big impact then on where they decide to go and the quality of care they're going to get. So I think that educating people 
on health literacy, helping them understand this information and communicating the ratings in a way that is understandable is going to be really important. So what's the mechanism for people with, with weaker health literacy, like interpreting the ratings upside down? That seems, that seems sort of hard to understand, like how they get there. It does until you actually look at the website. So some of these ratings are communicated not just in a simple uh, star rating, for example, like we normally see on Yelp, but they're communicated in a top 10 or a top percentage type of way with comparable numbers. And so someone may look at uh, a 60% uh, approval rating and think that that's good. When in reality, it's not, you know, compared to 80% or they, I think part of it is they just don't have a good basis of comparison. Mm, Interesting. Uh, Do we have any insight on like what people can do to improve their health literacy? There's a number of, it, it really comes down to communicating the information. It comes down to actually individually educating patients so telling them what percentages mean and it may seem very basic but when you think about the fact that most Americans have I think what is it a sixth grade reading level um, it's not necessarily surprising that they wouldn't necessarily know how to interpret that or how to interpret fractions mm-hmm. uh, but more so than just educating the patient I really think it comes down to communicating the information in a way that's just very easily digestible and understandable mm-hmm. so that's the that's resp- the responsibility of the providers the exactly. doctors and the system to communicate in what we would call plain English exactly uh, to to patients okay um, are there any other findings from this study that you think uh, worth highlighting? Uh, I guess one other thing is that when we're measuring a patient's experience, there's a lot of things to keep in mind that can actually bias the results outside of just the context of who the provider is or what kind of service they're getting. And one of those things is patient's expectations. Mm-hmm. So if a patient is going in to a hospital with really high expectations, it's going to be more difficult for the provider or the staff to meet those expectations and have the patient end up satisfied with the result. Whereas if a patient goes in with very low expectations, it's not going to take much to exceed those expectations and have the patient be very satisfied. And one of the things we found is that overall, patients actually have quite low expectations for Hmm. their care. Um, And one of the things that could potentially happen, we didn't directly measure this, but if someone has really low expectations, they may be receiving low quality care and still give it a high rating. Hmm. And so part of the thing that we are considering or need to consider is how do you make sure that people have high enough expectations actually Mm Uh, for how they're treated do we by know, the system. Do we know what drives higher or lower expectations going into a medical system? Oh, well, I, one of the things is just how much experience they have with the medical system. So someone who never really goes to the hospital mm-hmm. um, may not really even know what to expect, so their expectations are likely going to be lower. 
and someone who has maybe a chronic medical condition or is constantly going into the hospital is probably going to have higher expectations because they know uh, what the experience is supposed to be like. They have that much more mm -hmm. previous experience to right. draw on. Okay, fascinating. Um, well, thank you for joining us today. I think this shines some light on how, even though healthcare is the main issue facing the country, most Americans think it's the main problem. It's actually really complicated. It's a very large, very diffuse system that involves lots of different actors in it. Um, and understanding what that looks like, understanding that journey of a patient, as you were talking about earlier, is, is a challenge, um, but one that's vital in order to actually improve the system. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone.